What's up, everyone? You're listening to the Anthro Alert podcast, which is the recording of our live show, Anthro Alert. You can now listen at your leisure and at your convenience. If you're new here on Anthro Alert, this is where Renee and I, your hosts, and sometimes a guest, analyze, break down, and discuss different topics each week anthropologically. Enjoy. Welcome to Anthro Alert, Friday, 3 p.m. You're listening to Bulls Radio here uh Tampa, USF, WUSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 a.m. on campus, and always streaming worldwide at TuneIn uh, on the TuneIn app. Um, so, special treat for everybody today for our 25th show, our live show on Anthro Alert. It also happens to be Spencer's 25th birthday. So how exciting, how amazing, how awesome. Congratulations, Spencer, on your spirit journey formation anniversary. Thank you very much, Renee. I appreciate that. Oh, actually. Hey, there we go. My mic's on. Yes. (laughs) All right. Technical glitch number one. It wouldn't be Anthro without it. No, no. Actually, it's been a little uh, different. Been. We've, we've been on a clean streak. But today, uh, we're going to do a little something different today. So uh, this is probably going to be the last that you hear of me on today's show. Don't worry, I'll be, I'll be back uh, next week so that I can um, put everybody to sleep. But today, we're talking about anthropology and why it matters. This show is brought to you by USF, USF Student Government. Um, yeah, so we're excited for today's show. Spencer, kind of uh, give, us a, give us a preview. All right. Uh, for all of you that listened last week, you know I was uh, sort of absent from the show. My voice was on the fritz. It's a little bit better today, but uh, not 100%, but we're going to power through anyway. So appreciate you uh, <laughs> going on this journey with me and my, my voice that uh, may or may not be still be here by the end of the show. Um, but I have a guest host with me today with Renee and I, Brianne a uh, first-year MA student in the department, so she's going to help us out on today's show, and uh, that should be a good experience. Brianne, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm a a first-year grad student. Okay, all right, we're going to start that over. Okay, so my name is Bri. I'm a first-year grad student at USF in the Department of Anthropology. Um, I'm all the way from Michigan originally, and um, came to USF to do applied anthropology, and I'm, my research hopefully will focus on drug use and neuroanthropology, so thanks for having me today. Fantastic. We're happy to have you, and we hope you have fun on the show. Absolutely. So for all of you listening, if you have listened to us before, you know what we're all about, but if you're just tuning in this week, let me tell you a little bit about Anthro Alert. <clears throat> this is a show about anthropology and simply why it matters. Every week we discuss how anthropology is relevant, and over time we feature various guests from the Department of Anthropology and other organizations to discuss their research and to have them weigh on everyday current events and topics. Uh, We believe as graduate students that there's a good opportunity for us uh, as graduate students and as anthropology students to better connect with the USF community and to raise awareness of the value of an anthropological perspective. So just like every week, we like to preface our show uh, with the statement that the opinions that we express here on Anthro Alert and the opinions of our guests are our own opinions and may not necessarily reflect um, or be representative of anthropology as a discipline, the USF Anthropology Department, USF, or student government. So with no further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest for uh, today or this afternoon. 
Uh, we have two representatives from FPAN or the Florida Public Anthropo- or Public Archaeology Network, <clears throat> Cassie Kemp and Rebecca O'Sullivan. So, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having us. Fantastic. All right. Sorry, my voice is already going out. So <laughs> this is, it's going to be an uphill battle, but we're gonna we're gonna get through it. Okay. So, can you please tell us a little bit about FPAN and how it got started? Um, well, you know, I just want to say thank you again for having us um, so much. Uh, we're really excited to get to talk about FPAN and where we work. And, I mean, I think we both really enjoy working for FPAN a lot. So It's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awesome. But, um, like you said, you know, FPAN, it stands for the Florida Public Archaeology Network. Uh, we're a statewide network. There are eight FPAN centers all across the state of Florida. Um, and... Pretty much what our job is, is to go out and tell people how great archaeology is, and especially how great archaeology is in the state of Florida. Mm. Um, so that's pretty much what we do. What do you say, Cassie? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what we do. But, um, you know, really, FPAN is um, it's a program of the University of West Florida. Okay. So um, that's where we get our funding from. Mm. And FPAN is really the brainchild of an archaeologist from the University of West Florida, and that's Dr. Judy Bentz. So we really have our jobs, you know, to, to thank for Dr. Bentz, and she really kind of came up with the, the concept of FPAN specifically and got the ball rolling to kind of make it happen. Mm. So, um, yeah. So the, you know, the um, FPAN Center here at USF on the Tampa campus was established in um, 2006. So we've been here for 11 years. And then um, we also have, USF also hosts a center that's at the Crystal River Archaeological State Park. Mm -hmm. And that was established in 2007. So it's their 10-year anniversary this year. Wow. Where are the, you said there's eight regional centers. Where are the rest of those located? Well, um, so USF hosts two centers, and USF is one of the kind of um, founding, you know, um, institutions. Yeah, institutions to, to host, you know, FPAN Center. Then also Flagler College hosts two centers. One is in St. Augustine, and then um, one is in. Why did Kevin just move his office here? Outside Orlando. Yeah. Not to land. Um, and then FAU also hosts two centers, one in Fort Lauderdale and one in Fort Myers. And then UWF has two centers, one in Tallahassee and then uh, one at UWF in Pensacola. Mm. So well, you guys are kind of spread out. We're all over the place. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and with Florida being such a long state, yeah. we are really spread out. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And it's kind of crazy. I mean, it's interesting the way the funding for FPAN is set up because, like I said, we're a program of UWF. So um, different, you know, USF, FAU, Flagler, they, um, you know, they apply to become host institutions to host an FPAN center. Mm. And so then that money for the center, it, you know, comes every year from UWF. And that's what, you know, Kathy and I get paid from. That's what, you know, our operating budget comes from. Okay. So, like, how often do you guys have people that apply to be a, a center for FPAN? Or do well, you guys have, like, a cap of how many people you want to have? We're, we're set at the number of centers that we have now. There have been other institutions that have 
been FPAN Center hosts, like um, one of the earlier FPAN Centers was at the Randell Research Center um, on Pineland. So that's where in our southwest region now, and that's um, was hosted by University of Florida. But, you know, um, things change, different institutions want to, you know, do different things. But um, as we're at now with FAU, Flagler, um, USF, and UWF, that's really, you know, um, they've been mm-hmm. really strong hosts for, for FPAN. So with places all over Florida, how do you guys kind of like split and determine projects with like so many different locations? And So we're split by county. Okay. Um, so that's kind of our designation. So our different regions have names. Uh, West Central is us here in Tampa. The Central region is our Ours based in Crystal River, and we each, uh, you know, West Central here and Central, we each have nine counties, I think, and so, um, you know, but the the southern regions, Fort Myers and Fort Lauderdale, I mean, their counties have such large land that they have less counties, but they still cover, you know, about the same amount of land. Right. Um, yeah, and coverage. so, like, our region, the West Central region, we cover everything from Pasco County in the north to Sarasota County in the south, and then inland to, like, Polk, Hardy, DeSoto, um, all that. So it's a big area, but yeah. um, it I think it's good because it helps us to kind of become an expert in the region that we're in um, and helps us to really direct our programming to, you know, one specific area, so... So let's let's take a few steps back here in our conversation. Um, you know, so part of your guys' title is public archaeology. Can you tell us a little bit about what public archaeology is? So, like, how is it a foundation of what you guys do? So it's pretty funny. So before we came on this today, we were kind of talking about some of the things we wanted to talk about. And I think that um, coming up with a definition of public, public archaeology was probably – the thing that we had the most difficulty with. Yeah, it's tricky. <laughs> right, because it's, so many things can be involved in public archaeology, but you want a succinct definition. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it includes so many different aspects. I think um, what we kind of came up with that public archaeology, it's just, it's really just a way of practicing archaeology or practicing anthropology, um, you know, just like applied anthropology right i mean Mm -hmm. you're an anthropologist but your focus is on you know making your work relevant working with Mm -hmm. communities today and so that's really the same kind of thing with public archaeology how can we take this knowledge that we gain from archaeology and um, engage with the public to you know give them that information in an interesting way but also um to include them in the process and to make that information relevant and interesting to people today. Mm. So I think that's really what public archaeology is all about. And we can get at doing that in different ways, but mm. that's really what our goal is. So what is, like, your favorite way that you guys have done that so far, or witnessed, or I don't know if you have a favorite or something, a project that you thought was, like, really great that really engaged with the public and or something? That's a really hard question because we <laughs> so do sorry. so many oh. really unique and interesting yeah. things to do that. So mm-hmm. whether, I mean, we've done, you know, actual field work projects where we're out digging and, and the public can come and be involved. But then we also do lots of really neat kind of tours to to archaeology sites. I mean, on a bicycle, on a kayak, 
you know. So we've done so many unique things. It's really hard for me personally to choose one. That would be hard. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy. It's a crazy job. I mean, one day we'll be, like, in a school talking to, like, a room full of kindergartners. The next day we'll be doing a training for, like, local land managers. And then we'll be off tromping in the woods somewhere on a or kayak. Or in a cemetery. Or in a cemetery. Or <laughs> yeah. All so, um, yeah, we had to wear a lot of hats. And <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Literal and figurative yeah, hats. Yeah, figurative <laughs> hats and literal hats um, <laughs> in this job. But that's what, what makes it a lot of fun. How do you guys approach outreach? So, like, how do you disseminate projects or get people interested in coming to your events and things like Because that can be, like, the hardest part, you know, sometimes. Oh, is, absolutely. Is trying to get interest or people coming in. I mean, partnerships are really important that's Mm. kind of a big step so one of the biggest partnerships that we have here at at our west central region is with weedon island the education center there Mm. and uh we in st pete yes and so it's um we have a partnership agreement with them so we actually have a little office and we Mm. do um two monthly programs there um every month and we've been doing that since 2014 2015 and um so they do their own promotion and they have people who just come to the education center to to be at the museum or hike the the trails there and then they they find out about us that way so we have a good following through partners um but then we also have you know facebook page and website and ways that we try to get information out to people but i mean really like you know the archaeology it it sells itself it's exciting Mm -hmm. People, I That's can't true. tell you how many people we talk to, and they're like, oh, you know, I always wanted to be an archaeologist, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, it didn't work out, and now I'm, like, a neurosurgeon, and <laughs> right. money, and it's like, you know, <laughs> but whatever. But I love archaeology. Um, and so, you know, we talk to people like that all the time, and so really it's just about getting that information out there. You know, archaeological sites, they're, a lot of them are um, protected. They're not public information of where they're located so i mean we're telling people about information that's otherwise really not readily accessible so they're learning about these like secret places in their community that they've never heard of before and like who doesn't want to hear about that Mm. you know it's like you're getting in on a secret right yeah (laughs) on the other side of that um also we have people who know about who've lived in these areas since they were kids and they've you know been around um say uh, archaeological archaeological shell middens or mounds that they know of in their community and so they're interested because it's a place they used to go walk around with their grandparents or parents so we get that spectrum of people who who don't have access and don't know too much about it for, and and also helping and interacting with people who find that that site is important to them that they have a personal connection with right and as they well. probably know way more about it than we do so right. there's a lot of listening that goes into public archaeology mm-hmm. not just um, that's interesting talking. That you bring that up yeah it sounds like it's like a satisfying thing like when people engage and they like are like hey let me tell you the things i know about this site that you know, and then we can partner our uh, like right. knowledge together right. yeah absolutely it's it's really satisfying because you know like becky said we talk to adults but we also talk to kids and we do a summer camp every year and uh we have repeat you know students and oh. uh 7 to 11 
years old, and I have ran into them at other programs, and I overhear them telling people, oh, that is a shell hammer. They used it to do this. or So yeah. it's one of those things where your heart just is like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're inspiring <laughs> the next generation of archaeologists. Yeah. We, we're trying to, like, plant that, you know, seed. Yeah, yeah that's the, the, we call it the long con, right, that we're trying to, um, yeah inspire a I mean even if they don't become archaeologists maybe it's something that they at least know about and that they care about and not just as something that's abstract but something in their community which is the most important part appreciate yeah yeah so I think before we take a quick music break can you guys kind of explain a little bit how you got started with FPAN um well I think we both started out as volunteers Mm -hmm. yeah um and then and you started in in 2010. Yeah, so I started volunteering for FPAN in 2010 um, when the center here was doing a community archaeology project over in St. Pete. Um, and then I got, you know, I was a grad student at the time, so I got hired on as a grad assistant and then, you know, worked my way up. And then, you know, my story is pretty much exactly the same, but two years later. So I started mm-hmm. at the end of 2012, and um, I was also a current, current master's student here, and um, then I started volunteering, and I never left. <laughs> they hooked you. They got you. <laughs> they got, got me. Got it. It, was not hard. Hard. Okay, it was not hard for them to hook me. It was not hard. <sighs> All right. Well, I think that's a good place to pause the conversation for now. Uh, stay tuned, and we will come back and talk more about FPAN and their work with local government and the Division of Historical Resources. Hey, Bulls. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Anther Alert on Bulls Radio, WSF 89.7 HD3 Tampa, 1620 AM on campus, and always streaming worldwide at the TuneIn.com and the TuneIn app. So thanks for coming back. We're talking about FPAN and archaeology in Florida. We appreciate you spending your Friday afternoon after finals listening to a relaxing conversation about anthropology and archaeology. So we're going to hop right back into the conversation. Okay, so one of the um, things you mentioned in the first segment is that uh, Florida and or archaeology in Florida is special. So I'm kind of wondering if you can elaborate on that. And also, I mean, I think it's really interesting, too. We're having this conversation, and I'm not an archaeologist, and I know Spencer isn't, and neither is Renee. So it's, it's really interesting to hear this, and it's also like you're, you're teaching us, and I'm sure a lot of people out there that don't know archaeology, it's... It's very interesting to hear this. It's a very teachable moment. So. <laughs> we find ourselves in those often. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's our job is really easy in a way because it's such interesting archaeology in the state. There's, you know, 14,500 years of archaeological record, you know, of people, you know, living in what is now the state of Florida. Um, you know, I was going to say... Oh, (laughs) yeah. I mean, you know, back like, you know, those thousands of years ago, I mean, Florida didn't even look like it did today. It used to be almost like a savanna and you had mammoths and giant sloths running around and people lived here and with them and, you know, hunted or hung out with those. And and then, you know, as time progresses, you get people staying put and they start becoming fishermen. And, um, you know, in most of Florida, you didn't even need agriculture because we're surrounded by water and there's so many resources. So here in Florida, we have so many earthworks, things that people made with their hands of shell. Right. And then, 
like a lot of these places there are these really um i'm gonna like totally steal from placon right now but like you know <laughs> cosmopolitan centers where you know you have people who are bringing in these exotic goods from you know as far away as like michigan and the great lakes you know different groups of people coming together um and we can see all that in the archaeology in these special places and you know and also not just you know that type of special but we have you know in florida since we have a lot of water sites Mm -hmm. we get some really great preservation here so most archaeology sites you don't find wood you don't find baskets you don't find clothing but we have you know a large number of sites that you actually can find things like that here we've got the largest concentration of prehistoric wooden canoes in the world is in florida in florida yes Cool. hundreds and hundreds of canoes and so these, they were using these canoes like on the florida waterways like highways to to get around but right. because of that preservation in water we actually can find those things and and learn about them so for those who may not know can you explain what prehistory is at like approximately the dates of, of prehistory it's pretty simple actually um Prehistory is any time before European contact, before Mm. writing. Before writing. Before writing. um, So the people that were here before, you know, um, writing came over, uh, those people had a spoken language. And so we call anything before written records prehistory. Mm. So, yeah, in Florida, I mean, the earliest evidence we have of people living in Florida... um, comes from the Page Ladson site, which is up in um, North Florida, and that dates back to like 14,500 years ago. And so uh-huh. that goes until, you know, European contact in like 1513. I passed that a little bit too, but, you know, around around then. That's quite a long time ago. But that's the thing is in archaeology, a lot of times you kind of have to be an expert on a specific place or time period. Mm. And with Becky and I and and um, all the other F panners can kind of attest to this. You kind of have to know a little about everything mm. and you have yeah. to know about that kind of whole history of, of Florida and be able to talk to people about, you know, 14,000 years ago or right. 200 years ago. Right. right. You have to be a jack of all trades. We do. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, talk yeah. about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if you'd like to learn more about Florida archaeology, Dr. Pecan was on here last week. If you didn't hear that conversation about Crystal River, you can listen to it if you would like on anthroalert.com. That'll be up in a few weeks. So moving on, <laughs> selfless promotion there. Um, that, was, that was good. That was good. good. <laughs> yeah. Both Becky and I are former Placon yeah, students. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's why I gave them that. Like, I yeah. have to make sure I cited that. You know, there you might go. be listening. I want to make sure. <laughs> So early in the show, we talked about the outreach that you guys do, but a lot of the work that FPAN does as well is uh, working with the local government and um, the, the Division of Historical Resources. Can you talk about the type of work that you've done with the Florida government? Well, we work with, um, you know, government entities at a lot of different levels. So, mm-hmm. you know, the city government, counties, and then also um, at the state level with the Division of Historical Resources or, mm-hmm. or DHR. So, um, you know, when it comes to to cities, a lot of the, the work that we do with cities and counties is helping them um, with ordinances for historic preservation. Um, some of us, you know, sit on different historic preservation boards uh, we've also, especially with the city of Tampa, we've done a lot of work with them 
on um, historic cemeteries. So that's another kind of mm. area that uh, we work we work into is um, with historic cemetery preservation. So we just finished up a project for them when we were doing um, GPR in the oldest public cemetery in Tampa, which is Oaklawn Cemetery. What's and, GPR? And what is GPR? Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Becky can probably explain this a little better, but it, it stands for ground penetrating radar. So it's pretty much kind of like sonar into the ground. So if you think of like your weather maps and how denser areas are a different color, well, it sends a radar down into the ground and it reflects off of things um, in the ground based on density. Right. And it, it does not give you an image like on the TV shows of, you know, bones or a person, but it, it gives you kind of these little shapes that can help you see what's under the ground without disturbing it. Right. So, you know, we, yeah, we were helping them, you know, map the cemetery, but then also look beneath the surface for areas that might be like unmarked graves, especially mm-hmm. there's one part of the cemetery that, you know, historical documents point to being the part of the cemetery where um, that was set aside for people who are enslaved. Um, you know, minority communities. Um, and so that area is not marked now. So we really wanted to, to look there to see if we could locate any of the, the people who were buried in that part of the cemetery and bring their stories back into the story of Oakland. So like we were talking before about prehistory, like archaeology is not just about prehistoric sites and Native American sites. It's also about, you know, more recent history, too. Yeah, I um. I noticed, like, learning more about applied anthropology, it's, it's like, kind of, like, this theme of advocacy, and it almost seems like that's what you guys are talking about here, too. There's, like, a little bit of advocacy that comes along with your work. It's not just digging in the ground or something, you Definitely. know? Absolutely. And I think that what I think of what I do as 100% advocacy, I think that's that awesome. everything that we do, we try to be an advocate for the resources and the, the communities that we work with. Wouldn't you say, Kathy? I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, especially, um, you know, in archaeology, we work with communities that are either long gone mm-hmm. or never really had a voice. So it's really nice to be able to use a little bit of what we do to try to help, I guess, bring that stuff. To bring those stories forward. To the and, community. Right. And when you have a tangible object that you found in a community that, you know, dates back, you know, 100 years or, or so. I mean, that's a, a link to a story. Someone can look at that object and they see, like, wow, this was, you know, a piece of a, a doll that a child, you know, played with in Ybor City like 100 years ago. It gives you that tangible link to that, that history that is sometimes not, you know, easy to really conceptualize. Mm. And it really, one one of the big things that we always do with FPAN um, when we talk to people is trying to connect the known to the unknown, right? And so a lot of what we do is trying to help people who are interested in these places to understand how much they were like us. You know, a Native American may have lived in an open-air, you know, um, shelter on top of a shell mound, but that doesn't mean they didn't have to eat and they didn't have to, right, you yeah. know, make pots to cook their food in, just like, you know, we don't have to make them. We can go buy them. But they still <laughs> had to eat, right? And same thing historically, um, you know, a, a child can relate to f- finding a doll leg. You know what I mean? We still play with dolls. So um, so that's one of those things where we're trying to connect something they understand to, to help them appreciate something in the past they may not. Mm-hmm. That's Might cool. not yet. Yes. But we will make them appreciate yes. it. Now. Yes. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, advo- advocacy work can be kind of challenging at times. Have you guys 
faced any challenges either working with government entities or advocacy or you know maybe with certain communities or um yeah i mean definitely i think that the the main barrier is just the the knowledge gap mm-hmm. i mean like i said you know archaeological sites are um protected their location is protected they're not publicly available under like florida's sunshine laws like a lot of public information is which is good because you know then people can't go and loot or dig on them or mm-hmm. you know do what they can't do shouldn't be able to do but in a way it's also really bad because the people who might care about those places they never learn about those places right and if you don't know about something how can you care about it and then how can you want to preserve it so i think the 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 reason i said i feel like what everything that we do is advocacy is because everything we do is about educating people and then we hope that that education will lead to that understanding and appreciation Mm -hmm. and then ultimately that desire to preserve those places so that's what we're trying to get past that that knowledge gap and sometimes mm-hmm. it's worse than other times you know but um right that that's usually the the main barrier but once people really see what we're talking about um they understand why why these places are important mm. mm-hmm. it helps that becky and i and most other uh, you know all of us f panners are passionate about this so i think a lot of times that barrier can be loosened a little bit when we're excited and passionate and open and ready to answer questions. And um, so I think I've seen in the past that really, that passion kind of really helps whittle that down a little bit, not in every situation, but it helps. (laughs) It sounds like what you guys do too is a lot of like making anthropology and archaeology real. Like, like it's not bones, you know, it's not the television show that you see, you know, it's it's like, a lot of making it real life and relatable, which is, that's very admirable. Right. And we try a lot to, you know, um, to bring the the process forward to, to show people, like, how do we get to these stories that, you know, we come up with, like, how do we, you know, what's the process? Um, and so when people understand, you know, the different scientific, you know, methods and um, different like GPR or like the different, you know, techniques that we use, um, you know, that's another really important kind of aspect to our outreach that we do. Definitely. Great. I think this is a good point to take another quick music break. And then when we come back with FPAN, we will be talking about more about public archaeology, more about their work, and then wrapping up the show for this week. So stay tuned. Hey, everybody. We're back with the conversation about public archaeology with FPAN. We're going to hop right into the conversation. I think Bree has a question for us. Yeah, so over the break, you were talking a little bit about some a project you guys do that's kind of unique. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I f- forgot the name again. Already. No, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> um, so it's, it's another way to get people engaged um, in archaeology in a, a really active uh, way. So you know, it's a citizen science program called the Heritage Monitoring Scouts, and it's actually a program that was developed by our FPAN office in St. Augustine by um, Sarah Miller, who's the director up there in St. Augustine. So now we've taken it statewide, but pretty much what it's all about is um, training people, members of the public, to go out and visit archaeological sites that are at risk from all different things like uh, erosion or sea level rise or looting. And so we train them to go to these places 
and then do um, a really simple assessment of the site and the condition is in and, and take some pictures and then report that. But it's really important and it's it's great because some of the sites that we're having people go out to visit, they haven't been kind of properly visited for decades sometimes. So it's it's really helpful also for um, the Division of Historical Resources and local land managers because we're helping to get boots on the ground to, to go check out these places. And that's why it's so great is because it hits, you know, those three fields are that are most important to FPAN to do public outreach, assisting DHR and assisting local governments. I mean, the, the Heritage Monitoring Scouts program hits all three. And that's, you know, kind of our sweet spot of doing outreach. And so um, all of the FPAN centers across the state have really been um, trying to, to do these and get out in the field. And that's the great thing, too, is we get to go out with them. And, you know, we're outside and we get to visit these places. And I know I've seen a lot of places that I hadn't before because I'm not a native Floridian. (laughs) So I've gotten to see some really cool places myself um, along with the public. Yeah. So and it's so important for Florida. I mean, so many of our really um, important archaeological sites are in coastal areas. Like the coast is somewhere we want to live now in Florida. Um, coastal areas is, you know, those are places that people wanted to live thousands of years ago as well. So um, with, you know, sea level rise, um, with all the hurricanes that we're having, and, um, you know, it causes a lot of coastal erosion, which is really destroying these places and so you know this is actively this damage is happening today but then it's also going to be happening in the future um so you know we've had you know some some stats so with you know three feet of sea level rise um for the state of florida that's going to be like almost three thousand archaeological sites that we're going to lose that are going to be impacted by that and so we could have three feet of sea level rise by like 2050 yeah Um, and we can lose all those sites so that's why it's so important that we get out there and and check these places out get the information that we can while those places are still there and and some of these places aren't you know that place near somebody's backyard that only 10 people know about some of these are in major parks um, are important resources are interpreted resources that people visit um, all right, the time. Like the Crystal River site. Crystal River is one of those. I mean, that's right on Crystal River. Right. So it's important. Yeah. Yeah. And then you bring it to the community members and that right. makes it relevant. Well, yeah, and there's exactly. not that many of us, right? We can't do it all on our own. <laughs> Absolutely. We can't do it on as our own. As much as I'd love to be tromping through the woods every day. <laughs> so we need, we need kind of that um, interested public who, who, you know, walk through a park every day anyway to fill out a site form while they're there walking their dog or or whatever um, to help us out. Um, That's that's what the the program does. It allows a person who would like to do that to to do it. And it's been so great working with the the scouts that we have so far. It's really like reinvigorating and, you know, doing this job to see, you know, their passion and what they're learning and going out to these places on their own um, and really, you know, taking that next step in becoming advocates themselves for for these archaeological sites which is really cool so how could uh, our listeners if they wanted to get involved within this program uh, they could go to our website <laughs> <laughs> I don't tell you to go to our website but they could go to our website and we've got all the information on there it's fpan.us um, slash hms florida and um, you can 
if you want to, you can sign up to become a scout. You can find out about different site meetups and trainings that we have going on on there. And frequently asked questions, more info, if you just want to understand a little more about what it is. Great. Well, thank you. So wrapping up the show, I have one more question for the both of you. Why did you choose to pursue public archaeology as a career? Um, well, I mean, I, you know, I feel really passionately about archaeology. I've always enjoyed learning about history and other cultures, and that's why I kind of got into um, archaeology in general. But um, I don't know. I mean, I think I've always been a, I always have enjoyed doing things that um, give me a creative outlet. And I think that public archaeology in particular is really good for that. So, you know, I get to design museum exhibits and do a lot of graphic design work. But then, you know, we also get to do a lot of, um, you know, technical archaeological skills like using geographic information systems to make different maps and things. So the thing I like about public archaeology the most is that, um, you know, not only do I get to do something different all the time, but I get to see, um, you know, I get to really feel like what I'm doing makes a difference. Not all the time, but, you know, sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But sometimes. And that's what I really like about it. I mean, definitely the same thing for me is, you know, when I, when I was going through school, I knew I didn't want to be stuck in one place. And um, I didn't want to kind of be in an office all the time. I didn't want to end up that way. I mean, archaeologists mostly don't, but I didn't (laughs) want that to be my future. And so when I started volunteering, I really loved how varied everything was that we did. And it can be crazy, but, you know, you never know what you're going to be doing or where you're going to be. I mean, I've traveled all over Florida and... um, I, again, I'm not native to Florida, so this has really been a great way for me to get to know the state and the archaeology that's here. And I get to meet really great people most of the time. And I, I can honestly tell you, I did not think it was going to be where I ended up because uh, public speaking used to make me very nauseous. <laughs> You're doing such a good job. Yeah. I know, it's really funny you. because I feel like a lot of people who work for FPAN are actually like really like devastatingly introverted but like we have to do these you know public events I don't know so it's just kind of funny even so I was that person that in class even giving a presentation to the nine other students in my class I would get very nervous and now I will you know just go into talk to a group of 50 people and be totally cool about it so I got to it taught me some really great life skills yeah, as like well. Yeah, like trial by fire for like <laughs> public speaking <laughs> skills. Yeah, so it's good for that. So, yeah, so that's that's why. And now you're on the radio. And yeah. now so you're on the radio. There you go. First oh, I time. thought we were just talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> that was our long con. Right? Yeah, I know. That's what yeah. we tell yeah. people. You got us. <laughs> just come talk to us for a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we have to wrap up the show for this week, even though we're having a fascinating conversation with FPAN and We don't want it ever to end, but it has to end eventually. So if you'd like to learn more about AnthroAlert, what we talked about today, or FPAN, you can find all of that information on AnthroAlert.com, where you can find links to the FPAN website and more information if you so choose, if you're interested. So as always, thank you for listening. We will be back next week, and have a nice weekend. Happy holidays. Uh, yeah, thanks uh, Thanks for tuning in and listening. And also, Spencer, happy birthday. Happy thank birthday. you. Yes, happy birthday. And to Cassie and Rebecca, thank you. Yeah, thanks thank for having you us. For having <laughs> graciously volunteering your time 
to yeah, come and have us interrogate you hey, about that's, that's okay. That's <laughs> this is public the outreach. So hey, there, there you go. go. Helping us do our job. <laughs> there you go. All right. As always, we love doing Anther Alert, and we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation like we did. So uh, take care, and we will see you next week.